Hello? Anybody home? Today, I want you to open your mind. I've almost come to the conclusion that the story is so damning that the mass of people can't deal with it. We are in process of developing a whole series of techniques to get people actually to love their servitude. We face a hostile ideology, global in scope, atheistic in character, ruthless in purpose and insidious in method. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence. To change the minds and the attitudes and the beliefs of the people of the world, especially the United States, to bring about one world socialist totalitarian government. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. It has patterned itself after every dictator who has ever planted the ripping imprint of a boot on the pages of history since the beginning of time. Brutes have risen to power, but they lie. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. If you can get people to consent to the state of affairs in which they are living, then you have a much more easily controllable society than you would if you were relying wholly on clubs and firing squads and concentration camps. Tools of conquest do not necessarily come with bombs and explosions and fallout. There are weapons that are simply thoughts, attitudes, prejudices, to be found only in the minds of men. As you connect the dots between different people, organizations, places, religions, history, suddenly the picture starts to form. If you don't connect the dots. It's just a mass of what's all this about. The kingdom of God is within man, not one man, nor a group of men, but in all men, in you. You, the people, have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. Someone born in the United States is not more special than someone born in Mexico. Someone who is white is not more special than someone who is black. They're just vehicles for the consciousness to experience. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. They do not want your children to be educated. They do not want you to think too much. It was learned that the aliens had been and were then manipulating masses of people through secret societies, witchcraft, magic, the occult, and religion. They reach into our children. Music, television, books. Prey on children's innocence. How can I disprove lies that are stamped with an official seal? So if you have the opportunity to stand next to one of these machines, it feels like an altar to an alien god. Genetic power is the most awesome force the planet's ever seen, but you wield it like a kid that's found his dad's gun. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc is now in the possession of the Army. Too many others know what's happening out there, and no one, no government agency has jurisdiction over the truth. Any state, any entity, any ideology that fails to recognize the worth, the dignity, the rights of man, that state is obsolete. A case to be filed under M for Mankind in the Twilight Zone. It's about time some of you got acquainted with the real hard truth. It's the heart that says, I will not acquiesce. Across the gulf of space, intellects vast and cool and unsympathetic regarded our planet with envious eyes. Each of us, when separated, is always looking for our other half. And the desire and the pursuit of the whole is called love. Heart perception will change everything. Freedom is the privilege to be right. Freedom from the disasters of our mistakes.
broadcasting from the Sonoran Desert. I'm your host, Ryan Gable, and this is The Secret Teachings Radio. If you'd like to contact the show, as always, you can email us at rdgable at yahoo.com. You can find us on social media, facebook.com forward slash The Secret Teachings, and on Twitter at tst underscore underscore radio. Our website is www.thesecretteachings.info. You can visit the website today and find our archive, which is available to listen and to stream on the website, along with various links to different radio and podcast players, all free to access. You don't have to be a subscriber to our main archive, which just gets you the show ad-free, plus our montages and my digital books. Just visit www.thesecretteachings.info. Click on the Donate or Subscribe tab at the top of the page. You can read about the perks of subscribing to the show. We have a $40 for one year subscription to the archive right now since we moved over here to Ground Zero Radio. And uh, quite a few people have been taking advantage of that discount. Again, with $40, you get everything in our archive, my books. You get early access to the show. I think it's really worth it. A separate archive than Clyde's on Aftermath. So if you want Clyde's work, you have to subscribe to him. If you want my work, you have to subscribe to me. And again, we've lowered that price. A little bit of a discount, only $40 for the entire year. If you have any questions, though, email us that email one more time, rdgable at yahoo.com. And on the website, you'll also find things like my physical books. You can buy the books separate. You can read reviews from other radio hosts and authors there on the website. And our Patreon page has behind-the-scenes content. There, That's linked up on the website. And our affiliate sponsors are also linked up there at thesecretteachings.info. So I didn't get a chance to talk about this Monday or Tuesday. There were two other things. We had a guest on Monday, uh, John Peasy, good friend of ours here, very funny comedian, uh, ventriloquist as well. And last night I wanted to talk about uh, the Jurassic World movie. So I haven't heard a lot of people talking about that. So, so interesting. They used a genetically modified pathogen to alter human DNA. And they did that through an injection so I, it's not really a novel idea, but an interesting one. And I haven't heard a lot of people talk about that. So I wanted to do a show on that quickly. And I thought it turned out pretty good. Parthenogenesis last night. When you got a GMO, you got a GMO. I hope somebody picked up on the, on the subtitle of the show. When you got to go, you got to go. You got a GMO, you got a GMO. And tonight, you know, I said that tonight was going to be um, kind of a weird, interesting show. And... Uh, I, th- I think it is. I, I Over the weekend, I went camping. So this last weekend, I went camping, and I saved this story for today. And uh, I had uh, a really great time, but I had some very weird experiences, very weird experiences. And, you know, we're out in the woods, and uh, we were with a couple of friends from here in Tucson. And, uh, you know, the moon was full, so it was, it's nice. You can see everything, but the moon always has a a certain energy or a certain eeriness that it projects, especially when you're out in the the middle of the woods. We we were out on um, the top of Mount Lemmon here in in Arizona. So it it was beautiful, very nice. But, you know, when the moon comes up, sun goes down, you start talking, 
just kind of random conversations, usually things like aliens or UFOs or something like that, monsters in the woods. Uh, I always bring up missing 411. Not not really trying to scare anybody, but I, <laughs> I get a little bit scared when I think of that stuff. So we, we, were, we were talking, all those things came up. And one of the things that was was discussed was for the first time in a long time, I brought a book that was fiction. I, I never can read fiction. I still can't really read fiction. So I brought a book that was fiction on top of these other two books that were definitely not fiction. I brought a book on the Civil War. I brought a book, the U.S. Civil War, to be specific. I brought a book on like the history of magic. Uh, it was a book written, I don't know, like 50 years ago, like numerology, stuff like that. And then I brought a book by H.P. Lovecraft. It was actually a compilation of books by H.P. Lovecraft. And uh, I don't, like I said, normally read fiction, but I tried and I ended up reading uh, three of the Lovecraft stories. And for those of you who have listened to this show before, it might be a surprise that this weekend, as I'm 31 years old, was the first time I've ever read a Lovecraft story. And I know that some people might laugh at me, find that you know embarrassing for the line of work I do, but I just cannot read fiction. I just can't do it. But I did this weekend. I did read some H.P. Lovecraft. I read The Call of Cthulhu. I read the, uh, what's the other story, the, the, uh, the Color Out of Space. And then I read, and I wasn't planning on it, uh, but I ended up reading At the Mountains of Madness, which was personally my favorite, my favorite story. But what, what was weird, especially because we're outside, it's, you know, it's dark out. When I started reading At the Mountains of Badness, I stayed up late reading it in the tent. And then I finished it the next day because we camped for two nights. Lovecraft writes about these like pieces of paper and, you know, like parchments and artifacts and sculptures and the different stories. And he, he wrote about, you know, how there's these are old some of these documents are old and you know so he there's like ink blots on them and they're all kind of ripped up well when i was done reading the 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 three stories i chose to read i go sit down in the tent and it's middle of the day and i brought some paper with me and i and a pen so i could uh, take notes or if i had a show idea i could scribble it down so i sit down in the tent and i pull out the lovecraft book and i was going to make a notation of a few pages on a piece of paper where I wanted to go back and maybe extract a quote from or something like that. So I, I get my pen out and I'm holding my pen and, and I open the book and I, I use my, my left hand to kind of hold the book down with the pen. And uh, with my right hand, I kind of turn over to my bag and I grab something out of the bag and I turn back and I'm like, oh, damn, my pen exploded. And I, I, I didn't feel it. I didn't I don't know what, I mean, probably because of the elevation, the pen exploded um, and, I, and I hadn't realized it, but it dripped ink all over one of the pages of the, of the book, the Lovecraft book. Now it, it didn't freak me out. It's just like, I'm upset because my book seems ruined now. There's this big ink blotches. But as soon as I saw that all in the same moment, I realized, I said, I said to myself like, oh, that's, that's creepy. Because I just got done reading three stories where, you know, there's pages of these, these uh, artifacts, essentially, that have these ink blots on them. 
But then it gets it gets really weird. So what happened was I I looked up and I saw that the page number was 13. And that was very significant because, well, we were actually at campsite number 13. And this was uh, Monday morning when this happened. And Monday morning was June 13th. And then I thought to myself, okay, that's, that's really weird. And I read and I chose, I was originally going to read The Call of Cthulhu and leave it. And then the people we were camping with, my friends said, we got to read the, the Color Out of Space. It's my favorite story. So I read that too. And then I thought, well, I got to read At the Mountains of Madness because of Antarctica. And uh, so I read that. So I read three stories and then my pen explodes all over my Lovecraft book, all over page 13 while I'm camping at site 13 on Monday, June 13th. And I'm sure I could find a million other similarities and comparisons, but I, I found that to be creepy. And I don't mean creepy in a way of, you know, I, I don't like when people get onto, um, onto a microphone or in front of a video camera and just start like naming random symbols or numbers as if it's supposed to have meaning. I mean, when I see patterns like that, an ink blot on page 13 while I'm camping at site 13. There's a full moon. It's Monday, June 13th. I just read three stories. <laughs> it's kind of strange. It's kind of weird. It, it's kind of creepy. But when I see numbers and patterns like that, it, it makes me think you need to pay attention to something. And up until this point, other than having intended to take notes to do a show, I was thinking to myself, um, you know, maybe I should do something on Lovecraft. Maybe this would be, this would be um, something I could weave into a show. I don't want to just talk about Lovecraft. So it all kind of starts to come together, right? And um, another interesting little weird synchronicity is uh, at the Mountains of Madness, there's part of the story. These two guys, they go into the, this big ancient city in Antarctica, and uh, they they realize that there have been people there before them and they, they go up to this sculpture and they're looking at murals and they find a, a spent battery from a flashlight underneath of it and didn't register in my mind as significant. But when I walked, I walked, um, I walked over to where the little campfire was, which we have a huge fire warning here. So they had all the campfires like bagged off. You couldn't, you couldn't use them, but I walked over to sit down on the log and I turned around and it's, it's not very dense there in the forest where we, where we were, but there was this big tree and all these rocks in this little place where this log was to sit on. It kind of looked like an altar or maybe even a sculpture. I don't know. And uh, underneath of it, I just looked down randomly and there was a, a, a dead battery that somebody had left um, just like essentially described in the, in the story. So I don't know. I, I actually texted uh, Derek, the night stalker, and he's like, well, that, that kind of stuff will happen when you read Lovecraft. And I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm paying attention to these things, so they start to build up. There's a pattern. But it gets even weirder, and, uh, and it, it, it sparked my, my desire to prepare tonight's show. And th this is all part of the show. I'm just giving you a little bit of a backstory. As we were preparing to leave, I was walking back from the bathroom, and I'm just kind of kicking some rocks, and I saw something kind of like, it was like a black material in the ground under a rock in the street in the road so i kind of like kicked it and as i kicked it i kind of walked by it and then i thought no i'm interested like i, I want to pull this out of the ground what is this thing so i got a stick and i pulled it out and um i know it might seem fantastical and i'm sure somebody 
probably somebody like me put put that there, this bag there, to freak somebody else like myself out. It was a bag that had a, had a rock in it, and it was filled with some dust, and it was tied, and it was buried in a little bit of dirt under a rock. But it had the 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 side of the bag was sticking out. Now, when I saw that, I thought, okay, that's that's a fetish bag. That's a goofer bag. That's hoodoo and voodoo, which interestingly enough, up there on Mount Lemmon, there's a, a vista point about five to 10 miles from where we were called hoodoo, hoodoo point, which is even creepier. And uh, so this, this bag, uh, if you, for those of you who don't know about voodoo, a goofer bag or a fetish bag is a bag that you put something in relation to, it's like sympathetic magic in relationship to those who you are trying to do harm. And then you fill it with, um, dirt, dust, something from a graveyard. They call it goofer dust. And then you tie it and you bury it close to the, the, the person's residence or wherever this person is that you're trying to do harm or maybe in some cases good. So, I mean, obviously somebody just put a rock in it and they buried it, but it just made me, it made me a little bit, it feel, made me feel weird. And I'll admit to you, I, I actually, I, I got rid of it. I dumped it out. I just like mentally cast it away and then i i spit three times in that direction i is an old <laughs> very old superstition but it's a superstition nonetheless that uh i don't want to take any chances i don't know if somebody buried a goofer bag next to my campsite campsite number 13 nonetheless but then i get home and there's a dead bird next to my front door which is well, not my front door technically i have it there's like a gate and a little tiny courtyard and then there's the front door this little tiny apartment so there's like a dead bird which is, which is really weird. So there's an, my pen explodes, an ink blot on page 13, where Lovecraft is talking about how these, these monsters get into your mind and, and make you dream. And then this is at campsite 13 on Monday, June 13th, after I read three Lovecraft stories, I find a goofer bag and then I get home and there's a dead bird at the entrance to the, to the place where I live. So, I mean, I, it, this kind of stuff happens yet yeah, it, it's a little bit freaky but at at the same time i'm I, I i'm aware enough to recognize that it's it's more the imagination pulling on um the conscious mind saying hey you should be aware that this is kind of weird and i won't write off that there isn't intentionality or some energy to it because i've had far stranger things happen before but you know, a lot of that could be because I, maybe I mentally allowed it. Uh, today, I feel like I have a barrier against that kind of thing. But I mean, all that's, all that's really weird. And um, that's pretty much, you know, that was pretty much my weekend. I had a weekend of goofer bags and dead birds and Lovecraft stories and talks about aliens. But while I was, while I, while I was out there camping, I, um, I thought, well, I want to get somebody on the show, somebody else on the show this week uh, who could talk about Antarctica because that's at the Mountains of Madness. It was based in Antarctica and everybody in the UFO community talks about Antarctica and, you know, there's the the blue chicken, Corey Good, David Wilcock cult that I just, if you've listened to this show long enough, you know that uh, as a result of David Wilcock trying to blackball us from a conference and as a result of me trying to critique his work and ask questions, they've long come after us. Um, we, we haven't been sued yet by Corey Good, but we, we've had everything except that. And uh, we've just questioned, you know, their narrative about Antarctica. And uh, it's just such a it's such a, a mysterious place. It's such a big thing now in the UFO community that 
you know, it's hard to, it's hard to ask honest questions about it. So I thought let's get Brad Olson on, uh, who is a good friend of mine. And he's, he written, he, he's written a bunch of books, uh, on the, the esoteric book series, three, uh, really great books. So we're going to have Brad Olson on in the second hour, but I went to message Brad cause I didn't have my phone on the whole time. So I turned on my message, Brad. And while I'm messaging Brad, I get a mess. I get another message from, uh, from a listener named Clay, who's a longtime listener. And, uh, he sent me the, the story about the Google engineer and uh, Google's artificial intelligence called Lambda, which is the language model for dialogue application. And when I got that from Clay and I got a confirmation that Brad would come on the show tonight, I thought, okay, so, so I've got the Lovecraft angle about Antarctica. I've got, um, I've got Lambda. I thought lamb that's, you know, Alistair Crowley supposedly summoned this this deity named Lamb, <laughs> and then I noticed that Clyde Lewis made the same connection on Monday. He did a show. We talked about the homunculus, and I thought this is way too rich. This is this is this is going to be such a good show. So I start kind of prepping. I took I took some notes while I was camping, and I started thinking about because Brad mentioned to me that this weekend, and I wish I could go to it. This weekend is Disclosure Fest in Los Angeles. And I started thinking about disclosure and Antarctica and UFOs and lamb and artificial intelligence and all these things because, you know, I actually got inspired to, to write part of my book, The Technological Elixir, because of a quote from Elon Musk years ago. He said, quote, with artificial intelligence, we are summoning the demon. And... I think that we're doing something similar with UFO mythology. And that's, that's what it is. A lot of it is UFO mythology. That doesn't mean it's not real, but I think we're doing something similar. And disclosure is, it's just not, I, I just don't think disclosure is what we think disclosure is. I call tonight's show Love Crafting Disclosure. And, um, whether it's love crafting or just crafting disclosure, it's the idea that politicians are using the subject for cheap votes and for viral talking points. It's the idea that insiders and people in the communities are disclosing for dollars. It's dollars for disclosure, disclosure for dollars. And so I don't really have a lot of faith that politicians care, and I don't really have a lot of faith that a lot of people in ufology care beyond telling a story, making some money, and, and getting attention. But I think the question is, how, how, how do we define disclosure? And why, is it we re, why do we rely so heavily on governments or shady online personalities to give us this disclosure? I maintain here on The Secret Teachings and in my, my life outside of the show that disclosure is a matter of historical evidence forgotten in military files and in undisputed personal reports. If you read Jim Mars or Timothy Good, there's a lot of great UFO authors out there. They have disclosed what Congress has not and probably will never. And they have disclosed what all the, the fake Stan Romanek stories and all the fake David Wilcox stories will never, will never be able to prove. And they've done it with military reports. They've done it with hard documentation. And based on that documentation you know, role-controlled speculation. So, I mean, I think disclosure has 
has occurred over and over and over again throughout the last 75 years. I, I don't think that it's, you know, I, I, even before Roswell, I, I just don't think that it's something that's going to come. I like, why do we need government to declare this for us anyway? Why do we need some shady online personality to tell us they were taken to the moon in a blue orb and then age regressed backwards? I just, I don't need that. I'll look at the evidence otherwise. And the other thing is there's, there are just as many people who don't want to believe as there are people who want to believe. And that's the thing. There's a market for skeptics and there's a market for believers, but there's virtually no market for those asking questions of both, um, I guess you could say, ideas that are more like uh, cult-like ideologies and uh, those that are asking questions and... Um, well, they're provoking these emotional reactions that um, I, I find I find weird. Like if you have a, a very strong emotional reaction to something instantly, like a reflex, I, I, I usually feel that there's some kind of um, cult-like ideology there, and it's um, it's something that's concerning because you know if if people in the UFO field, disclosure field, whatever you want to call it, if they if they react the same way that skeptics do, then we're looking at two ends of the same spectrum. And I don't like that. I, I want to I want to pull things together. I want to bring things together because there really are as many people who don't want to believe as there are who want to believe. And there's a market for both. And there's hardly any market for people that want to ask questions. You know, if you question these fantastical stories told online by people like David Wilcock who says the archangel Michael's talking to him, t- telling, literally telling him to take baths in human urine in order to acquire telekinetic powers. If you question that, everybody comes after you. Or they just think he's crazy, but the people that think he's crazy also tend to not want to discuss anything about UFOs or disclosure. So, you know, there's, there's not much of a, of a middle ground here. And that's what I intend to bring to you tonight on The Secret Teachings, a middle ground. We'll have Brad Olson coming up in the next hour. And, you know, Brad and I have disagreed on a lot of these things before, but we're going to have a, I think a fun conversation tonight. In the next segment, I want to break down the Antarctica story and how it relates to Lovecraft and some other things right here on the show. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. rdgable at yahoo.com, thesecretteachings.info. My book, The Technological Elixir, you can buy on the website. I think it's something, if you enjoy tonight's subject, you'll really enjoy that book, The Technological Elixir. You can only get it at thesecretteachings.info. The music, White Bat Audio. There's more after this. Stay with us. The Secret Teachings radio show is on Facebook and Twitter. Just search facebook.com forward slash the secret teachings to like us and TST underscore underscore radio to tweet with us. This is David Icke from davidike.com, author of The Phantom Self and The Perception Deception. And you are listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. From ground zero to the secret teachings. Keep your dial tuned to Ground Zero Radio. You could listen to this. And again, you know, people say David has no evidence. David has no evidence. I hate this channel. Or you could listen to The Secret Teachings with myself, Ryan Gable, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. Join us to explore the outer limits of history, symbolism, parapolitics, and more. 
We'll explore a little bit of everything, but don't take my word for it. I'm kind of like you. I'm a last of a dying breed, a generalist. That's The Secret Teachings, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. Are you intrigued by Paranormal Talk Radio? You'll love the new Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live. You'll find a great selection of talk shows covering UFOs, ghosts, strange phenomena, and much more. Download the Paranormal Radio app now and start listening to the very best in Paranormal Talk entertainment, including the network you're listening to right now. The Paranormal Radio app, free in Google Play and the iOS App Store. If you enjoy The Secret Teachings and want to hold years of Ryan's research in your hands, visit the website and grab a physical and digital copy of Ryan's books. Occult Arcana will introduce you to sacred myths, folklore, magic, and alchemy. The technological elixir will take you from transhumanism and AI to black goo and UFOs. Food philosophy will change your mind about what we call food, germ theory, and geoengineering. And remember, shipping is always included. Some restrictions exist for international. Visit thesecretteachings.info. People ask me all the time what they can do to take control of their lives when facing a daily onslaught of dis- and misinformation. I say take control of your body and mind with water filtration. Visit www.thesecretteachings.info and click on our affiliate sponsor link with Pro One Water Filters at the top of the page to search for a water filter for the home, camping trip, and even the shower. They filter countless contaminants and make a wonderful gift for friends, family, and yourself. That's Pro One Water Filters at thesecretteachings.info. This is one of the best discussions I've been on in a long time. You guys are right on it. Howdy, this is Joe Mars, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. If anyone can hear this broadcast, I'm still on Earth. This is the frequency of Ground Zero Radio, Ground Zero with Clyde Lewis, and The Secret Teachings with myself, Brian Gable. So tonight is what I call Lovecrafting Disclosure. It's the idea that politicians use the subject of disclosure basically for cheap votes and viral talking points, and others use it for, well, to make some dollars. Disclosure for dollars, dollars for disclosure. But how do we define what disclosure is, and why do we want government that supposedly has lied and covered things up for so long. Why do we want government to give it to us? Why do we trust shady online personalities to give it to us? I think disclosure has happened many times in the past, and I think it is found in historical evidence, military files, and undisputed personal reports. And I know that it's, it's not popular to say that in communities such as this, especially on late night radio. Because there are, there are just as many people who don't want to believe as there are who want to believe in these things. And therefore, there's a market for skeptics and there's a market for believers. But there's virtually no market for somebody who wants to ask questions. Questions of which verge on cult-like ideologies and reflex emotional reactions. I've been highly skeptical of the Antarctica question because I, I understand that Sure, I get the argument, but I need proof of something. Years ago, I read a story on air that a pyramid was supposedly found in Antarctica. And this was years before it became part of the the new UFO mythos. 
Now, it could have been a pyramid. This was a long time ago when I was just starting out on radio. It could have been a pyramid. I remember it so vividly. Or it could have been a, a mountain covered with snow. You know, Others have shared photographs from Antarctica that look like spaceships encased in ice, not knowing that those images are literally photoshopped from a movie called The Orion Conspiracy. It's a short film about the gullibility of, of, of well, people that watch Western media, funny enough. That's literally what the movie was, was made um, about. Uh, but it dealt with Nazis and UFOs and aliens and energy weapons and things like that. I think it's still on YouTube. Um, I have no relationship to the people that made it. I just I, I remember seeing it on YouTube. It's called the Orion Conspiracy. And that's where those, a lot of those photographs of the UFOs in ice in Antarctica came from. They were literally photoshopped from a movie. And somebody said to me one time, well, you don't know that, 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 that it's really photoshopped. Maybe that's a real UFO in ice and it's in the movie. I was like, why would a movie about the gullibility, which you're proving, <laughs> why would a movie about your gullibility use a real photograph of an alien? They're like, man, because it's mind control, man. I'm like, okay, I, I, you know, I just can't have a conversation with people like that. But, you know, there could be pyramids in Antarctica. And this is the problem that I have. If you can show me proof or based on reasonable argumentation, you can you can logically submit something. I'll listen because I listen to logic and I listen to reason. Could there be a pyramid in Antarctica? Absolutely. Considering that we find pyramids all over the world dating back thousands of years, it's possible. In fact, it's highly probable. But where is the proof? Without proof or even well-controlled speculation based on the information provided, modern ufology devolves into what amounts to Comic-Con. It's a place to play dress-up and live out our fantasies or fears. I'm an insider. I'm an experiencer. I'm being directly communicated to by an archangel. People like David Wilcock actually claim that. I'm being communi communicated to by an archangel, Archangel Michael, the most powerful angel, who I didn't contact, he contacted me, David Wilcox says, and he told me if I want telekinetic powers like Donald Trump has, and this is what they're saying, not me, if you want telekinetic powers like Donald Trump has, which is how he got a hole-in-one playing golf, then you have to pee in a bathtub and lay down in it. That's a thing. That's what David Wilcox said, which is uh, I find to be blasphemous, idiotic, asinine, and I just strangle myself. I just, like... I just pull my own hair out. I can't understand why people throw this guy money, but that's that's what the people want. Apparently, they want you know people that are communicating with aliens and and angels, and just like there's a market for that, there's a market for people who sit down and they they don't want anything to do with this, so they find any and all ways to dismiss any mention of UFOs, any mention of of aliens, or any mention of supernatural things. Which I don't do that because I'm fascinated by those things. And I think that's, that's the reason Antarctica is such a mystery. Antarctica is such a mystery because below the ice, there certainly are remnants and fragments and ruins of both, both past human habitation and a new but old world of plants and animals and insects encased in the ice, fossils, etc. And of this, any serious and honest investigator in any field must either entertain or at minimal, admit that it's possible. But until we have proof, we can't say for sure, uh, for certain. And uh, you know, but but it's still a reasonable stand to take. 
What's not reasonable is to claim that a mountain is a pyramid of extraterrestrial origin and there's spaceships and ice, but you can't actually show me anything of, 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 of proof except a movie about how gullible people are, which was that Orion conspiracy movie. Now, we do know that the conditions for life in Antarctica are more than just stagnant. Uh, Lake Vostok has is documented there's thousands of different species, um, not like animals running around, but species of different kinds of uh, you know microscopic organisms. Uh, just like we know, there are certain bacteria that thrive on radiation. There's bacteria that survives in the vacuum of space. Tube worms, uh, I think what they call them, ghost, ghost shrimp or something, that survive near hydrothermal vents at the bottom of the ocean, despite vast pressures and temperature changes. I mean, we can speculate based on that, that life in similar conditions may exist on otherwise classified inhospitable worlds, which is likely why there's such a scientific interest in Antarctica. It's not because of aliens per se, or at least aliens from 10,000 years ago. It's from aliens that probably exist in similar conditions on planets in our solar system. That life is like Jurassic Park. Life finds a way. So well-controlled speculation and passionate curiosity is not the issue. Uh, the problem is when stories are taken out of context or when people simply use the mystery of a place like Antarctica and uh, you know the high probability that there are distinct forms of life and artifacts or remnants of past human habitation, when they use those things to sell a fictional story that they sell as factual, that's when I have a problem. You know, when you watch The X-Files, even though some episodes are based on very real things, I know, I assume you know, that it's a television show. It's not real. Fox Mulder is not a real person. And, you know, obviously, but for some people, I mean, literally, you know, and, and fans of John Carpenter's The Thing also know that's, that's a movie. You know, the, the X-Files movie and The Thing are very, very similar. They're very closely related. You know, Antarctica and, you know, the, this ancient form of life there in Antarctica some followers of modern UFO lore, though, cannot apparently separate. They cannot distinguish fact from fiction, from speculation, from heresy, from total disregard for the truth. And that's a problem. Once again, there's a market for people who don't want to believe, and there's a market for people who want to believe, but there's not much of a market to bring the two together, to argue and to debate and to discuss with those who don't want to believe that um, it's kind of ignorant not to think that life exists in virtually all environments, under all conditions, whether we could or not as humans is irrelevant. We don't thrive on radiation, but there's bacterium that literally thrives on radiation. Life will always find a way. But, you know, I understand that some quote-unquote skeptics, they want proof. They want proof as well. Although it doesn't stop those same scientific skeptics of making outlandish claims about other things um, with computer-generated models and what amount to just fraudulent scientific reporting. So it's a matter of what they want to believe, even though there are some things that they don't want to believe. And then on the other side, you've got people that just want to believe. And what they don't want to believe is that what they believe could be false or misleading, or that there are people who use their desire to believe in the supernatural and paranormal in order to sell them fictional stories or to spread disinformation. We should ask questions, but not just believe everything we hear everything we read, everything that we, we come into contact with, because that's just as dangerous as dismissing everything. And what got me thinking about Antarctica is, I said in the first segment tonight, I told a little, little creepy story. I went camping over the weekend, 
And um, I had never, this might be a surprise to you, I had never read a Lovecraft story. Never. I knew about the mythos, but never read a story. So I, I read three stories this weekend. I read Call of Cthulhu, Color Out of Space, and At the Mountains of Madness, which is what got me thinking about Antarctica. And uh, when I was done reading it, kind of creepy, I, my pen exploded on page 13. So it was like an ink blot. And Lovecraft was talking about you know ink blots on pieces of old paper and stories and things like that. And then I realized it was page 13. I'm at campsite 13. The date is Monday, June 13th when I woke up that morning. And I just read three stories. And then I found a dead bird in front of my house when I got home. <laughs> and I found right out front of my campsite, someone had buried a little bag with a rock and dust in it, which kind of looked like a goofer bag. So it, it's like freaky, but at the same time, you realize these things are probably coincidental and synchronistic. And uh, whether or not it's some universal sign, I, I take numbers and um, patterns to, to mean something. It's not kind of like, it's not like pareidolia. I'm not looking for these things. They just, they, they're brought to my attention. So I see that as some universal energy drawing me to this pattern and leading me to where I need, I need to go. It, it's not demonic unless you perceive it as demonic. I see it kind of as neutral. Well, it's like the idea of cosmicism, which was a, which was, Lovecraft was a proponent of cosmicism. It's uh, uh, basically saying that, you know, there are things in the world, there are things in other dimensions, there are things in space that are so immense and so powerful and so intelligent that they're not good or evil by our standard. They're just there. And we're not, like, we accidentally step on an ant. We don't necessarily intend to kill that ant or to let it live, which is, it's, we don't, we don't really care unless it comes into our space, right? And then maybe we want to get rid of the ants from around our food or whatever, but we don't really care. And that's, it's kind of like a, a, a disregard, but it's not a negative disregard. It's just, it's, it, there's too much immensity, too much power, too much intelligence and we're not on that level. That's cosmicism. And if you look at the works of people like H.P. Lovecraft, a lot of the concepts presented in his writings are clearly the inspiration for countless stories and TV shows and comics and the like today. But what a lot of people might not know is that H.P. Lovecraft was very influenced by theosophy. So people like Madame Blavatsky... He was very influenced by Charles Fort, and now people are today influenced by Lovecraft, but they're, therefore they're influenced by the same, those same esoteric writings. They're influenced by the secret doctrine. They're influenced by this idea of, of um, all these different uh, forms of life, these different levels of life, these different um, dimensions, these gateways, stuff like Rudolf Steiner talked about. In fact, Rudolf Steiner uh, very, very famously said, that, quote, there are beings in the spiritual realms for whom anxiety and fear emanating from human beings offer welcome food. Uh, Steiner did not write that last week. That was, that was a long time ago he wrote that. And the quote goes on, but he's talking about things that thrive on our fear from another dimension. Think of the movie Monsters Incorporated. It's monsters running a power company that use doorways, portals to come into our world, and then they take the fear of children and use it to power their world. And what is in charge of that world? Um, you kind of have this villain in uh, this villain in the Steve Buscemi character of the serpent, Randall, 
But the true evil is Mr. Waternoose, this parasite, crab-like, spider-like creature that, when you think about it, is that's kind of similar to the Mind Flayer and Stranger Things from the Upside Down. And there are people that clearly believe that they can access these other worlds and they can bring these monsters into our own. And maybe they're doing that for power. Maybe they're doing that because they're possessed. I mean, it's, it's interesting. If you listen to the guy that invented the D-Wave computer, Jordy Rose, he actually talked about this. This is the guy that invented the D-Wave computer. Listen to what this guy has to say about these other dimension, these dimensions in these other worlds. And he even mentions Lovecraft. He, he says Lovecraft is probably the best explanation. Take a listen to this. It's Jordy Rose. I don't know if any of you are uh, turn-of-the-century weird fiction fans, but there's this guy named H.P. Lovecraft, who's a very famous American weird fiction author. And he exposed a, a view which is called Cosmicism. And the essence of Cosmicism is cosmic indifference. So he, what he was saying is basically, yes, there are these massively intelligent entities out there, but they're not good, they're not evil. The same way that you don't care about an ant is the same way they're not going to care about you. And these things that we're summoning into the world now are not demons, they're not evil, but they're more like the Lovecraftian great old ones. There are entities that are not necessarily going to be aligned with what we want. This thing is happening in the background while people bicker about politics and what what's going to be in the healthcare plan in the US and underneath it all is this rising tsunami that if we're not careful is going to wipe us all out. Now that's Jordy Rose. Jordy Rose says the same thing that Elon Musk says that with artificial intelligence we're summoning the demon. You know, if you look at science fiction, if you look at um, TV, movies, comic books, hell, at this point, if you look at sports, look at the Seattle Kraken, look at TV commercials, look at the new meta commercial where they've got the, the squid. It's like everything is taken from, from the, the, the collective mythos of Lovecraft um, and other similar authors. It's like we're living in a very Fortean world. It's, you know... It, this is a collective mythos out of which fiction and nonfiction are derived from and added to and where from elder gods, mostly ancient ones, if you pay attention to pop culture, they're essentially worshipped. And that's made evident in the symbols and archetypes found all throughout pop culture, all throughout ruling class peculiarities. Look at the World Economic Forum using ayahuasca and other things at Davos a few weeks ago. What do you think they're using those things for? The same thing the priest class used them for thousands of years ago and the shaman classes before that to tap into these other worlds, other dimensions, and to obtain power. And that's what Jordy Rose is saying about the D-Wave computer, which he said could be used to take resources out of other worlds, but we have to be careful we don't open up a portal, a doorway, a gateway, a rift that allows those things into our world because they, they're cosmically indifferent to us. They're not good or evil. They're not even demons. They're just vastly intelligent and they're vastly beyond us and there certainly are people that are hell-bent on opening a gateway or a portal or something to another world and uh, technology is uh, i think at the forefront of this not just opening the portal or the gateway but technology has promised us everlasting life 
which everlasting material life is eternal spiritual damnation. It's the poisoned apple being offered humanity in exchange for dimensional keys to the doorways, to the gateways, to the towers that will allow these, these other things to come into our world. As Rudolf Steiner said, these are beings whom which anxiety and fear are, quote, welcome food. Now, the black and white good and evil forces of nature, they can be categorized as religion, philosophy, science fiction, etc. But as years pass into the 20th, uh, 21st century, the 20th to 21st century, uh, virtually every movie, TV show, comic book, advertisement, sport, etc. is dripping in the green and black slime of the Cthulhu cult. As stated, this is evident in their symbols and archetypes found all throughout popular culture and what I call ruling class peculiarities. Such imagery includes squids, octopuses, spores, cubes, black goo, or what Lovecraft called, quote, iridescent black slime, and various physical indicators of their presence, including tremors, indicators of their emergence from space, the depths of the ocean, or from underground homes. Lovecraft wrote of the Elder Gods and the Ancient Ones, the latter being, quote, evil gods who wish nothing but ill for the race of man. Although he relates how they wish to, quote, break into our world through a gate or door, he also states that there are certain people among us who are devotees to these outside monsters. They wish to assist demonic hordes by trying to, quote, open the gate, as told in the Cthulhu story, The Call of Cthulhu, where in human sacrifice, bizarre ritual, and chanting was used in honor and provocation of these ancient forces. In The Call of Cthulhu, Lovecraft described an artifact depicting the great monster, a pulpy, tentacled head surmounted a grotesque and scaly body with rudimentary wings. Behind the figure was a vague suggestion of a cyclopean architectural background. A sculpture in another part of the story conveys something similar of the creature. Quote, it represented a monster of vaguely anthropoid outline, but with an octopus-like head whose face was a mess of feelers, a scaly, rubbery-looking body, prodigious claws on hind and forefeet, and long, narrow wings behind. The latter part of the first quote those cyclopean architectural things are, according to Lovecraft, the, quote, vast stone cities left behind in time immemorial. The story I read this weekend that I never intended to read, At the Mountain of Madness, the third Lovecraft story I've ever read, I chose to read it because of Antarctica, and I wanted to read it initially because I thought, well, I got to get some more information on Antarctica and see where a lot of these Antarctica stories are coming from in uh, UFO lore, UFO mythology, because I don't, I don't buy them. I mean, yeah, Antarctica is a mysterious place. There's certainly got to be artifacts, pyramids, probably all kinds of things, but I need to see proof before I can speculate on that, before I can believe it. So I, I, that's why I chose to read At the Mountains of Madness. Um, and in that story, a cosmic mythos unfolds from these found ruins in Antarctica, particularly those um, that... Uh, represented what amounts to a very, very immense, large city that is older than, than time. Um, sculptures that were found in the area in the story by the researchers unveiled the history of star-headed beings that descended to a lifeless earth out of cosmic space and were then followed by many other alien entities. These creatures mostly lived under the sea where they built fantastic cities. Now, Lovecraft told this story in 1936, and he was inspired by both Charles Fort and Admiral Byrd, 
in the mythos, these beings created something called the Shogoths. The Shogoths are a formless protoplasm able to mock and reflect all forms and organs and processes. Um, they're basically a black gooish like substance or a liquid metal like substance, if you will, from the Terminator um, that were the quote, ideal slaves to perform the heavy work of the community for these, these ancient aliens, which is precisely the basis for Zachariah Sitchin's work, right? The earth chronicles. When you look at Lovecraft, you start to pick out these, these similarities to ancient alien theory Obviously, the Earth Chronicles, Zachariah Sitchin, Eric von Daniken. And Lovecraft was likewise inspired by Admiral Byrd. And um, I don't know if he knew much about Operation High Jump or if that was a thing at the time, but we know about that today. And uh, uh, people like Charles Fort. I mean, even think about it, even Harry Potter. I mean, Lovecraft, think about this. Lovecraft explains that there's another race of beings that were octopi that came to earth and they got into a, a battle with the, these, these old ones, these great old ones. And after peace was made, then they, they started to take parts of the earth, you know, as their domains and the, the war was over. And Lovecraft explains that the Antarctic remained the center of the old ones of civilization and all the discoverable cities built there by the Cthulhu spawn were blotted out. So, there's these monstrous intelligent entities that went to battle in, in ancient uh, Earth's past. And um, then uh, lands in the Pacific sank, and it took with them the city of Cthulhu, uh, this cosmic octopi, he calls it, down to the bottom of the ocean. And uh, as, as a result of that, this is an interesting statement, Lovecraft says, once this occurred, the old ones were again supreme on the planet, except for one shadowy fear about which they did not like to speak. Now, that which they did not like to speak is the you-know-who, Lord Voldemort of Harry Potter, and the Lord of the Rings, that is to say, Saturn, that evil known as Sauron. The archetype is an evil that has existed with Earth and mankind forever. For some, it is a force which was sent to our planet and or one that chose to take up residence here. Its title is his infernal majesty, him, the devil. But even the less malevolent old ones were little concerned with the affairs of humans. It's cosmicism. When the first men came, writes Lovecraft, the great old ones spoke to the sensitive among them by molding their dreams, for only thus could their language reach the fleshy minds of mammals. These old ones also created mankind like the engineers from Alien, right? And these are the same influences that are historically and realistically documented and outlined in books like Gods of Eden by William Bramley. So these are not totally fictional stories. And this seems to be the religion of, of the so-called elite. But the Google engineer who thinks the company's AI has come to life, Blake Lemoen, this is the Lambda system, the language model for dialogue application, um, I read the Washington Post story, and they, they say that the, the text bubbles were Arctic blue, which I thought was interesting because of Antarctica. Uh, but he's saying that this thing has essentially come to life, and then CNN, all these other outlets are like, no, 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 that's not true. It didn't come to life. No, the artificial intelligence is not sentient. But you know what I couldn't help but think of is, is LAM and the first atomic bomb blast, which really was a work in alchemy, you know, this alchemical trans transformation that alchemists have attempted to summon artificial life through a process that includes a spark of immense energy and certain ingredients contained in a bottle, the egg. And this artificial life is known under numerous names, homunculus, 
little man, aggregor, tulpa, thought form, golem, changeling, moon child, etc. And it's just interesting that the AI, uh, they, they call it Lambda. But Elon Musk said, with AI, we're summoning the demon. I mean, our, Jordy Rose said, uh, these are Lovecraftian old ones that they don't care about us. They're not good. They're not bad. And, and, and there are those that clearly, I mean, look at the meta commercial, look at every TV show, every movie, every comic book, everything is the cult of Cthulhu. And just like Lovecraft was inspired by Charles Fort and people that were in the Theosophical Society, you know, we're inspired by Lovecraft today, but this is an ancient religion that goes back hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of years and it, it, I think it proves as a point of fact that, that Lovecraft was was not more, he, he was more actually than a fiction writer. He wasn't less than a fiction writer. There was a lot of what Lovecraft wrote that was certainly, whether you believe it or not, some people do, a reality. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. And we're going to speak about the reality of Antarctica with our good friend Brad Olson coming up in the next hour. Stay with us. There's more after this. You are listening to The Secret Teachings. To contact the show, to share information and your opinion, or give recommendations, email rdgable at yahoo.com. Visit the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash The Secret Teachings, or visit the website at www.thesecretteachings.info. This is Linda Godfrey, author of Monsters Among Us, and you are listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. Broadcasting from somewhere between heaven, hell, and purgatory, it's The Secret Teachings on Ground Zero Radio. Release the Kraken! You could listen to this. And again, you know, people say David has no evidence, David has no evidence. I hate this channel. Or you could listen to The Secret Teachings with myself, Ryan Gable, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. Join us to explore the outer limits of history, symbolism, parapolitics, and more. We'll explore a little bit of everything, but don't take my word for it. I'm kind of like you. I'm a last of a dying breed, a generalist. That's The Secret Teachings, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. So, you love talk radio, then you'll love TalkStreamLive.com. TalkStream Live is always on, 24-7, with the best streaming talk shows. Find your favorite talkers and discover some new ones. It's free, readily available online, or on mobile with any smartphone or tablet. Finding your favorite talk shows all in one place has gotten a whole lot easier. Just go to TalkStreamLive.com. Be sure to download the free apps from Google Play or the iTunes App Store. Do you like The Secret Teachings and Ryan's passionately balanced approach to subjects from food and health to the entertainment industry and the occult? Then check out Ryan's books, available in PDF and softcover with free shipping in the United States. For a deeper look into artificial intelligence, UFO cults, black goo, and packs made with the devil in the music and entertainment industry, have a look at the technological elixir. Or look for Ryan's masterpiece, Occult Arcana, an encyclopedia of occult knowledge spanning from mythology and science to symbols and sigils, from ritual magic to voodoo, and from comparative religion and psychic abilities to paranormal activity. Just visit thesecretteachings.info. Hello, folks. This is Jordan Maxwell. 
and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. Excellent shows. Keep listening with your host, Ryan Gable. Think about your hero when you're at ground zero and call out to the fallout back to me. Attention, you are tuned into restricted airspace. Tune out immediately. This is the frequency of the secret teachings on Ground Zero Radio. Welcome back to the Secret Teachings Radio broadcast. I'm your host, Ryan Gable. Thank you so much for tuning in this morning, this afternoon, tonight, whenever and wherever you are listening around the world. This is Ground Zero Radio, and this is The Secret Teachings. Our website, tackon.info, thesecretteachings.info. You'll find our full show archive and more, including behind-the-scenes content on Patreon. If you'd like to subscribe to the ad-free archive, you get access to the show, the montages, digital copies of my books. There's a one-year special right now for Ground Zero Radio. It's $40 for the year. Just visit our website, thesecretteachings.info, and subscribe today. You can also find our books there. And if you'd like to contact us, rdgable at yahoo.com. That's rdgable at yahoo.com. T-S-T underscore underscore radio on Twitter and facebook.com forward slash thesecretteachings. I've been talking tonight about the idea of what I call love crafting disclosure, or what we could simplify and call crafting disclosure. It's the idea that Politicians are using the subject for cheap votes and viral talking points and that there are some insiders or people that are in the UFO communities that are basically disclosing for what we call disclosure for dollars. They're not really telling us anything we don't know. We're telling us things that are that are accurate and true. So my question has always been, how do we define disclosure and why is it that we rely so heavily on governments or sometimes shady online personalities to give it to us. There are just as many people who don't want to believe as there are those who want to believe. And there is a market for skeptics and a market for believers, but there's virtually no market for people asking questions and for asking questions of a controversial nature in some cases. And I think, I think one of those very controversial subjects has been Antarctica. And I think the reason for that is because Antarctica is a very, very mysterious place. It's a place where not many people have ever been and not many people will ever go. And it's very likely that below the ice and in the ice, there are remnants, fragments, and ruins of both past human habitation and new to us, but very old plants, animals, insects, etc., And of this, any serious and honest investigator in any field has to at least entertain the idea, if not outright admit, that this is not only possible, it's highly probable. But until we have these proofs, we cannot say for certain. And I think that's a reasonable stance to take. We need proof. Or based on the evidence we have, we need well-controlled speculation. And if we don't have well-controlled speculation, I think the conversation devolves into into a circus. Uh, into kind of what I call a cosmic comic con, you know, where we just want to play dress up and it's fun to have conversations about these things. But if you really want the hard evidence and the hard proof, I mean, Antarctica is a great, a great place to, to, to tell a story from because it's definitely a mystery. There's definitely things probably below the ice and in the ice. And we know the conditions for life in Antarctica are, 
also uh, ripe places like Lake Vostok has thousands of different species of microscopic organisms. Um, we know also certain bacteria can survive in space in a vacuum, can thrive on radiation. We know about tube worms and ghost shrimp, I think they call them, near hydrothermal vents and at the bottom of the ocean, vast pressures and temperatures. And uh, we can speculate that based on those conditions in Antarctica, that likewise on moons or other planets in our solar system or in the universe, life probably will be there as well. I mean, last night we talked about Jurassic World and Parthenogenesis. And, um, you know, it's the idea that life finds a way. Life is going to find a way. And maybe there's Maybe there's more to it than that. Maybe there's life also elsewhere. Maybe there's life in other worlds, other dimensions that we can't conceive of. But throughout history, esotericists and occultists have conceived of them. Theologists have conceived of them. Rudolf Steiner once wrote that, quote, there are beings in the spiritual realms for whom anxiety and fear emanating from human beings offer welcome food. Kind of reminds me of Monsters Incorporated. Monsters come into our world through gateways and consume the fear of children to power their world. And as the years pass into the 21st century, virtually every movie, TV show, comic book, advertisement, even sports now, seem to be dripping in the green and black iridescent slime of the Cthulhu cult of H.P. Lovecraft, who was very much inspired by Charles Fort, theosophists, people like Blavatsky, and for one of his most famous stories at the Mountains of Madness, he was inspired by Admiral Byrd. Some of you probably know the story of Admiral Byrd and story of Operation Hijup in, uh, in Antarctica. And if you read uh, at the Mountains of Madness, they're inspired in essence by, by very real things. The Antarctic was the center of, of a race of beings called the Old Ones. Their, their civilization was there and they had... They had done battle in the, in the mythos with these other extraterrestrials, these octopi-like creatures, you know, the shadowy uh, force, this, the Cthulhu-like spawn. And uh, they have places in the oceans, places on land. And what, what's interesting is that if you read through the, the mythos, you find things like um, these gods communicating through humans through dreams, right? And they're able to mold the, the dreams. That, that's the language that these gods could communicate to humans. In. And, you know, it's very similar to the influences that William Bramley talks about in the Gods of Eden quite seriously and, and quite well documented that there are, you know, these beings that have influenced human development for hundreds, for thousands of years. That's kind of the basis of the ancient astronaut theory, the ancient alien theory. And, uh, you know, just like Lovecraft was inspired by Fort and Admiral Byrd and Theosophist, people like Blavatsky, etc., people like Zachariah Sitchin had to, in some capacity, be influenced by people the same and people like Lovecraft. And I guess what I'm getting at here is all these things that we find so fascinating, whether it's Antarctica or it's UFOs, aliens, disclosure, um, these are things that, for some people, they, they borderline on fringe fantasy and delusion, but for those of us who have paid attention, it's based on very, very real things. And I think that we're, a lot of people are so desperate to believe that there's something in Antarctica so mysterious. The, the question never really is proposed, which I think is part of the Lovecraft um, you know, universe and, and, and at the Mountains of Madness. The question is, do we really want to know what is there? Are we really going to be happy when we find aliens and meet our maker 
like in Prometheus. The, the, the engineers don't care. They engineered humanity as an experiment, just like these Shoggoths were made by the old ones in the Lovecraft mythos. They're just, they're, they're slaves. It's like the, the Anunnaki, right? And the gold and Zachariah Sitchin. Like, do we really want to meet our maker? What, what if they're indifferent to us? What if it's like cosmicism? It's just like, they don't care. They're, they're so vast. They're so intelligent, so big, so powerful. We're, we're nothing to them. I mean, are we summoning something that we cannot understand, an idea? Are we summoning these beings into existence with, without comprehending the consequences? And that, that gets quite literal when you look at entertainment, but it also is literal when you look at what Elon Musk said about summoning the AI demon. And now look at this, this story about Google and this engineer named Blake Limon who says that the Lambda system is sentient. And what is Lambda? Well, it's Lamb. Alistair Crowley summoned uh, an entity named Lamb. Looked like this gray-headed being. So, I mean, that's really the question. Do we really want to know what's in Antarctica? Do we really want to meet our maker? And uh, I find that uh, one of the better people to speak on this subject is Brad Olson, a good friend of ours here on The Secret Teachings, a personal friend of mine now for many, many years. He's written a number of fantastic, superb books that will keep you reading and entertained and thinking for hours and weeks and months and years. His website, cccpublishing.com. Brad Olson, my friend, how are you? Thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey, Ryan, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on The Secret Teachings again. I always really enjoy our conversations and great setup piece as far as Antarctica and Lovecraft and do we really want to know what's under the ice? Well, as you know, I went down there three and a half years ago with the expressed reason to see if I could find out any of these great mysteries that are said to be lurking under the ice. As far as I know, I'm the only researcher who's gone down there. And even Ancient Aliens has done several episodes on Antarctica, but they never went down there. So it's kind of interesting to see this kind of mythos of Antarctica rising up as what might be under the ice. And do we really want to know, as you said, uh, versus the kind of pure fantasy of what might be down there too. What, what do you think is down there? Like, do you want to know, like, if you think of it from a Lovecraftian point of view, if you will, like, does, does that scare you or frighten you when you, when you really think about it and put aside all of the the, the, the fun conversations and the very real possibility of these, these types of things we discuss, like, does that freak you out a little bit, Brad? Not really that. It wasn't, oh, if we see a UFO, we're all doomed. Or the, and, and that was pretty unlikely. The trip itself was wrought with danger. It was 26 days on a sailboat and crossing the Drake Passage between Ushuaia, Argentina, and all the way down to the Palmer Peninsula. And let's just say that uh, those are some of the roughest seas in the world. That was more scary and dangerous than perhaps anything we sought to find. But, uh, of course, it's a big continent. And if you were going to hide something from, say, satellites or drones uh, or flyovers, Really, there's two places on planet Earth that you could successfully hide and not be seen. The deepest depths of the ocean is one, and we've heard about UFOs. They're able to pierce through water and 
be able to part the seas when they come and go to the point where the craft don't even get wet uh, or under the ice in Antarctica. And so looking for something under the ice or finding anybody who had any kind of information about it was very dubious because we're in this category kind of like in Lovecraft and the pulp fiction that he wrote that uh, is very fantastic and it's very difficult to prove any of it. Uh, even anecdotal eyewitness reports were few and far between, but I did find one guy at an Argentinian base who reported that another Argentinian base just a few weeks before had had a sighting of craft and orb. Now, could it have just been an experimental craft or something very earthly? Yeah, quite possibly. The fact that it's down in Antarctica, the, the least populated portion of the planet, is just makes it all that more intriguing that something like this could be uh, talked about and seen. Well, what about the idea that, that in general, even if you had not gone down there, like if, if tomorrow we found out that there was some immense, great old one, you know, city that had been found in Antarctica. Like, I wonder how many people that are interested in UFOs are going to be able to mentally process that. Like, are we going to still be as excited about it or is it going to be a, a reality check and the world changes drastically with proof overnight? I, I, I think about that a lot. As we come into summer solstice on Tuesday up in the Northern hemisphere, down in the Southern hemisphere, it is the dark of winter. And Antarctica, especially at the South Pole region or below the Antarctic Circle, is now in 24 hours of darkness, the South Pole, for four months. So it's kind of like if a, for, if a tree falls in the forest and there's nobody around to hear the tree fall, does it still make a sound? And I use that example because if there was a craft exposed or some kind of civilization due to melting being seen, but there's no one around to see it. Are we ever going to know? And there, I did find out, Ryan, that there is definitely no fly zones over Antarctica. Although per the Antarctica Treaty, they made it so that tourism is acceptable and we had no problem going where we wanted to go. Although the corridor of the Palmer Peninsula where we sailed through is pretty much the tourist zone. So I wouldn't expect any big surprises to be there anyways with the cruise ships and other sailboats going through that area. But out in the major portion of the continent where there's two miles of ice over the polar plateau in eastern Antarctica and the fact that Antarctica is the most volcanically active continent in the world, the propensity for large under-ice domes and cavities where even a temperate climate could be had with the warming of the geothermal vents could indeed be a place where some of this is lurking. But how are we ever going to know? It's kind of like the structures on other planets. We sometimes see grainy video or photos of what could be old civilization or structures. And let's face it, Mother Nature doesn't create in perfect right angles and perfect squares and perfect symmetry. That has the hand of a higher intelligence. So 
even though we get these little scraps of evidence that there might be something down there, it's always kind of like the Tic Tac video of the Pentagon. It's always kind of so mm-hmm. grainy that you can't really make sense of it. And, and that is the same in Antarctica. Well, you know, I think when I see the, the Tic Tac video and I see this sudden interest in, quote unquote, disclosing UFOs, I don't know if I'd call it a con, but I, I feel like something's being pulled over on me because I feel like for, for decades, for half a century, there have been more credible reports from the military. If you read Jim Mars or Timothy Good or any of these other UFO researchers, I mean, even Jacques Vallée, if you read these people, they, they've documented things that are much, much clearer and definable than anything we've gotten out of the Pentagon. And that makes me question that if what we're being sold is on a false bill of goods. Exactly. And of course, we had the Pentagon investigation a couple of years ago with these really grainy, ambiguous videos. And then recently, NASA, never a straight answer, NASA, officially now <laughs> investigating UFOs. Right. Uh, yes. Why, why now? Why, why the hurry? Why the uh, all of a sudden, sudden interest in these agencies to uh, have any kind of interest in the subject where NASA has had over six decades, they could have gotten into it. And now that we call them unidentified aerial phenomena, uh, UAPS that uh, Hillary Clinton got on the talk show circuit. And, oh, we're looking into the UAPS. Uh huh. Cause you renamed it, huh? Yeah. So well, that's right. Events in the sky that cannot be explained by conventional aircraft or other known phenomena. They make it seem so ambiguous. From a scientific perspective, yeah, we're going to put the scientific perspective. You know, they're only funding that NASA study with a hundred thousand dollars. That's a drop that's in nothing. the bucket. That's nothing. nothing. And I, I'm just very dubious as why now, why all the interest right now, given the fact that the U.S. military has been increasingly open about studying these phenomenon for several years. And you mentioned the late great Jim Mars, who's a friend to both of ours and a great influence as well, uh, he had documented dozens of these years ago, and they didn't admit it to it then. Um, and now they're even towing the national security threat line, exactly as predicted. So it's always for some kind of reason. They're, these are not accidents that these things should be coming out. So the question should be, why now? Why all the interest in these alphabet agencies to be looking into this at this moment. And now, of course, the mainstream media, even Brad, has has jumped on board. They've accepted this and have become more accepting of it. And I I mean, you, you mentioned Hillary Clinton and, and UAPs, and, and that's what I was referencing earlier when I said that a lot of politicians use this as a like a stunt. It's for cheap votes, for a viral talking point. I don't really think that a lot of these people are actually interested in the subject but it has played into the military-industrial complex, if you will, because now when I read that report, all I got out of it is we couldn't really identify some of these things. We don't know what they are. They're probably not Russian or Chinese, but they do potentially pose a threat to national security. So it's going to be wrapped up under the the same argument, the same defense that it has been for half a century or more. National defense, we can't tell you what this is. And, that, and we don't know. That means if it means it's alien or if it's some exotic craft that humans are building. We... I mean, this has been the argument and a, and a debate in the UFO community, if you will, for, for decades and decades and decades. And it just, it remains ambiguous. It remains very mysterious. And I think when we, when we 
allow ourselves to be drawn in by the mystery a little bit too much, we can be very easily subject to intentional misdirection, uh, misidentification, and disinformation. What do you think about that? Yeah, the, we know that the, these alphabet agencies, especially the one out of Langley, Virginia, are absolute pros at shaping perception. Uh, and then when you consider the occultic origins of some of these intelligence agencies and how the paperclip Nazis came over here and helped start up the CIA with their own Third Reich propaganda, it's very dubious when these intelligence agencies are all of a sudden such good guys for bringing out this information right. and informing the masses people. I just, to me, that just reeks with uh, some kind of operation, some kind of psyop going on here to prep the American people for something that has to do with aliens or UFOs. And what keeps popping into my mind is the old Project Blue Beam, that old holographic sky show of the UFO invasion of Earth. I know. Did you see the Stranger Things 4 promotion in uh, 14 different locations around the world? What they did with that? No, what was that? So they used light and projection technology to project rifts on major landmarks in major cities around the world, 14 of them, which is kind of interesting because you have 14 pieces of Osiris, God of the underworld and the Egyptian myth. And you have these 14 different locations around the world where a rift is opening to the upside down or to the underworld. And these monsters are coming through these portals and, and these dimensional rifts and gateways, which makes me think of everything from CERN to the Trinity nuclear bomb test to even, uh, this is really interesting, I'm sure you've read this, this Google engineer who says that the AI is sentient that Google has, and they call it Lambda, and I can't help but think Lamb. Uh, Alistair Crowley yeah. attempted to summon this being named Lamb, and Elon Musk says we're summoning this artificial intelligence, which is going to be like a demon, I'm paraphrasing here, and even Jordy Rose, I played the clip in the first hour, I don't know if you've ever heard it, Brad, Jordy Rose says that the D-Wave quantum computer is probably going to open us up to a, a form of cosmicism where these beings that we're going to interact with in other dimensions through this computer are not going to care about us. They're not even demons. They're just these immensely powerful things that he even calls the Lovecraftian old ones. So I have a hard time deciphering, is this fiction? Is it not fiction? Does the fiction, like the UAP report from the Pentagon, does this stuff prepare us intentionally for something that is coming? There's so much to consider it just kind of blows my mind. I, I, I don't even know what to think about it a lot of the time. Oh, yeah. And it's coming at us fast and furious, too, Ryan. It's not just our own. Uh, See, they're, they're, call, they're calling you right now, telling you I to know, shut up. I know. All of a sudden, got real <laughs> busy. I can't stop that one. <laughs> but how about this? Did you see that uh, China has just said that it may have detected signals from ancient civilizations that they have a, a, a big... Uh, eye to the sky and after decades of silence and obfuscation by NASA, it would be ironic if China was the country to break ranks and announce that they have discovered ET life. And a quote from this article is China said that a giant sky eye telescope may have picked up signs of ancient civilizations. Well, look, if this is the story and we want to talk about detecting signals from ancient civilization. How about Nikola Tesla 
who picked up signals out in uh, Colorado Springs when he was um, working with his electronic gear and could have been from the Black Knight satellite, which was in orbit over Earth at the time of the very first Sputnik and people into outer space, they detected this. So how come those very credible sources and stories are not picked up that only now we're starting to get it. Only now China is detecting signals from quote alien civilization. Ryan, it just seems so dubious to me that when you get everybody piling on here from NASA and the Pentagon and now China, of course the mockingbird media jumps in as well, that there is something afoot, something being planned here. This stuff, this doesn't happen by chance or for any kind of reason, that there is something behind it. And that's why I I'm just keep thinking it's, just, it's Project Bluebeam. It's the last play of the cabal before they get their new world order environment. This is what uh, Carol Rosen, who worked with Werner von Braun, the famous paperclip Nazi that came over here and helped start up NASA, was working to uh, tell the world and he told it to Carol Rosen that the last play of these globalists before they get their new world order is they're going to fake out the world with this world alien invasion. So maybe China's in on it now, too. And perhaps they got to get some other world powers to play along with it, because uh, how's it going to work if it's just a couple countries that see it? I've considered, Brad, that. The, the fake alien invasion. I'm, I'm not convinced of Bluebeam per se, although the technology certainly exists. Just look at the Stranger Things promotion. But I'm convinced that I, I think about SARS-CoV-2, real, not real, biomarker, tracker, disease, whatever you want to call it. Some people have different opinions on it. But whatever it is, um, it's very likely, and, and I think it was Newsweek and The Atlantic, had, others had published stories saying that this is a beta test for what it is going to be like when humans come into contact with extraterrestrials, that what we're dealing with as a, as a particle that we can't see is how it's going to be to fight or have to fight some kind of extraterrestrial essence or force or some energy somewhere that it comes from space. It's not necessarily in spaceships. It's kind of like a, a tiny little particle that we can't really see. It's just, there's so much weird stuff that, that could be the fake alien invasion, that it's not really a, a, an actual virus. It's more like some kind of particle that's manufactured or the whole story's manufactured. I don't know. We're going to talk more about this when we come back from break. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. Brad Olson, author of the Esoteric Book Series with cccpublishing.com. More with Brad after this. I was also thinking as we go to break here, there's an astronomer named John P. Bagby back in the 50s through the Adler Planetarium in Chicago, who supposedly discovered not just one, but dozens of Black Knight satellite-like things orbiting hundreds of miles above Earth. And NASA supposedly confirmed that in a press release in the mid to late 1950s. Again, I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. There's more after this with Brad Olson. Stay with us. listening to The Secret Teachings. For more information on the show or to contact Ryan, visit thesecretteachings.info or email ryan at rdgable at yahoo.com. Hey, this is John Peasy at johnpeasy.com and I'm here with Ryan Gable from The Secret Teachings. It's The Secret Teachings 
one of the homes of the original Super Bowl analysis, airing exclusively five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. If you're interested in all things that include the occult, from witchcraft to voodoo, and from mythology to alchemy, then why not check out the book Occult Arcana, complete with hundreds of beautiful images. Maybe you want to look at technology, black goo, UFOs, and demonic pacts made in the entertainment industry. Check out the technological elixir, black goo, transhumanism, and invoking AI. Or if that's not enough and you want a practical look at food, lifestyles, and ingredients, even those in your pet food, with free solutions to better health, then check out Food Philosophy. All three of these books are available in softcover or PDF at www.thesecretteachings.info That's where you can read reviews, see pictures, and even order yours today. Are you intrigued by Paranormal Talk Radio? You'll love the new Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live. You'll find a great selection of talk shows covering UFOs, ghosts, strange phenomena, and much more. Download the Paranormal Radio app now and start listening to the very best in paranormal talk entertainment, including the network you're listening to right now. The Paranormal Radio app, free in Google Play and the iOS app store. You could listen to this. And again, you know, people say David has no evidence. David has no evidence. I hate this channel. Or you could listen to The Secret Teachings with myself, Ryan Gable, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. Join us to explore the outer limits of history, symbolism, parapolitics, and more. We'll explore a little bit of everything, but don't take my word for it. I'm kind of like you. I'm the last of a dying breed, a generalist. That's The Secret Teachings, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. This is Kev Baker of The Kev Baker Show, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. Broadcasting from somewhere between the normal and abnormal. A collection of question marks. No reason, no explanation. Just a prolonged nightmare in which fear, loneliness, and the unexplainable walk hand in hand through the shadows. It's The Secret Teachings on Ground Zero Radio. Uh, says things like this, like, when you do this, beware, because you think, just like the guy in the stories, that when you do this, you're going to put that, that, that little guy in a pentagram, and you're going to have your holy water out, and you're going to wave it at the thing, and by God, it's going to do exactly what you say, and not one thing more, but it never works out that way. I'm Ryan Gable, your host, and this is The Secret Teachings Radio. Brad Olson is with us, the author of the esoteric book series, cccpublishing.com. That was a clip of Jordy Rose, inventor of the D-Wave quantum computer. He was actually discussing a quote from Elon Musk about summoning artificial intelligence and how AI could be a demon and that we don't need to... I'll draw a pentagram on the floor and perform some ritual in order to attract or to welcome these things into our world. There are other ways that this can be done, and it doesn't have to be done even with um, you know some kind of uh, technology. We can wish these things into existence simply by 
uh, tampering in one way or another, uh, just the idea of it tampering with the laws of nature, uh, tampering with the, the fabric of space time. We could do this accidentally. Or if you read Lovecraft, and I believe this is more than fiction, uh, there are those who are working with beings or they are working through humans to open gateways to other dimensions, portals to other worlds. And that's the whole idea of Stranger Things, right? And Stranger Things promotion for season four, it was light projections of rifts opening on major landmarks around the world. 14 of them, like Osiris, 14 pieces, put them together, God of the Underworld. And this is the upside down. This is the underworld. And perhaps these beings, these, these aliens that were so ready to have disclosed to us are not going to come from space. Maybe they'll come from the bottom of the ocean, but maybe they won't come from there either. Maybe they'll come through a rift in space-time. Maybe we've already opened that rift with atomic weapons, with projects like CERN and others like it. Or maybe we're summoning AI with new forms of technology like the Google engineer on paid leave right now who said their AI is sentient. Funny enough, that AI language model for dialogue applications is called Lambda. Lambda. Alistair Crowley attempted to summon Lambda, which kind of looked like a little gray alien, didn't he? And he tried a similar and parallel experiments to summon other entities. And Crowley was in the community of people like Jack Parsons and Werner von Braun, who founded NASA and uh, the Jet Propulsions Laboratory. Some people joke is the Jack Parsons Laboratory. I mean, virtually everything in mainstream science, hell, even the creation of the television, all of it was created by people who dabbled in the paranormal, who dabbled in the esoteric, who dabbled in these other worlds. And, you know, if you think of Lovecraft, which has been our main theme tonight, Lovecrafting Disclosure, Lovecraft was influenced by people like Charles Fort, who wrote about very real phenomena. And he was influenced by people like Blavatsky and the Theosophist, who wrote about an esoteric creation of mankind. I don't think that what's in Lovecraft is is completely fiction. I think it's a it's a, a fictional account of very, very real things. And so much of our entertainment today is filled with this. And one of the things that our entertainment is filled with is um, the mystery of Antarctica. And uh, we, we talked to Brad a little bit in the first segment tonight because Brad is one of the only people, uh, well, he's the only person I know who's actually gone to Antarctica. And uh, maybe we can go back to that for a moment, Brad. What... That experience, uh, what did you feel after it as opposed to what you were feeling going there? I mean, you didn't expect to see aliens, right? But you go there and, I mean, it had to have been awe-inspiring to the most extreme, I would assume. Yeah, it was, Ryan. And I've had the great opportunity in my lifetime to be able to travel to now all seven continents of the world to get a perspective of each continent and the people that live there, of course, very few people are down in Antarctica. In fact, right now, when it's the middle of winter, uh, only 1,000 people are the skeleton crew at some of the bases down there. And this is the fifth largest continent in the world. So my impression was it's just such a vast wilderness of ice. It really seemed otherworldly to me. Not to say that I was expecting a UFO to come pop out of the ocean and give us a sky show, but that it is so remote. And even the animals have no fear of humans down there. We had a, a whales, pot of whales swim right under our boat. 
just as curious to see us as we were of them, or you could go right up to a penguin and its chick and take a picture of it just two feet away. That's cool. And penguins kind of like, Hey, get out of my way. You're blocking my view here. Uh, so those kind of little tidbits really were what left a real impression about going down there, so, but also just the vastness of space down there that there's just so little, uh, human signs of, of colonization or other boats that we saw. It was just very remote. Earlier, you mentioned those under ice domes, which we can speculate exist, but we also know that some do certainly exist. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Lake Vostok is one of those. It's like an under ice dome, and it's it's heated through um, through the, the the heat of the earth, hydrothermal heat. And scientists have found thousands of different species of uh, microorganisms down there. Correct. That's correct. And that was only in uh, the late 2012 did they finally puncture all the way through. It was the Russian base Vostok finding this great dome over a lake that is in the top 10 largest freshwater lakes in the world. They finally got a sample of the lake in 2016, and in it they found all kind of bacterial life that had never been seen before. So what is lurking under the ice, especially in these geothermal vents, and you mentioned it in the setup tonight, that there could be life forms uh, that these bacteria have come off of even species of fish that are completely unknown to humanity. So there's still so many great mysteries down there too, which uh, really make Antarctica the, the great mystery of planet Earth. You think we have discovered everything or have gone everywhere, but that's not the case with the deepest depths of the ocean and with what might lie under the ice in Antarctica. Well, I think that's why Lovecraftian stories or whether they're Lovecraft or Lovecraftian like stories, that's why they're, they're so well for some it's, it's, it's really good horror for other people. It's just food for thought. And we've, we've not explored the deepest parts of the ocean. We've not explored uh, what's beneath the ice in Antarctica. We don't even know what's in some of the deepest jungles, uh, even, you know, uncontacted tribes and things like that, let alone, you know, something that's from another world or very, very ancient as far as our understanding of time is. So these are mysterious places. So we kind of maybe create what we think is there. Uh, we also have stories of, yes, underwater objects, USOs that come out of the water. So that leads to further speculation, which leads to, which leads to further, you know, perhaps confirmation bias, which leads to further speculation. Things can get out of control. But with well-controlled speculation, we can assume that there, there certainly are remnants and fragments of very ancient things in Antarctica under the ice that might very well be human. And um, I mean, I don't know if you're a proponent of this, but I've I've read and I've thought, of, I don't know how I feel about it though, Brad. Is Antarctica perhaps, you know, part of the famed Atlantis? I'm sure you've been asked that question before. Yeah, I have. And, and there are what appear to be pyramids to be poking through out of the ice. And I did bring this up with uh, a tour group, a tour group that you could customize your own trip and fly just about anywhere. And they called them nun attacks, which are just attractive looking mountains poking through the ice. But when I asked if they ever stopped at one, because they fly over them as they go out to uh, Vincent Massif, the tallest mountain in Antarctica. And 
a lot of people want to climb all the tallest mountains on every continent, and that's the bulk of their business. But they've never stopped at these pyramids and gone down and looked at them. The real common one that we've seen in the Shackleton Range of a perfect four-sided pyramid, and you see the shadow of cast. Could be coincidence, but they went down there and seen it and never went to climb it or collect samples or anything. So I think the, the, the jury is still out on that one, Ryan. And could there be other ruins below the ice? Well, you do know that the mid-Atlantic ridge, which goes all the way down from Iceland to Antarctica, is a geothermal ridge. And it could be that during the last pole shift, a chunk of land like West Antarctica, which is a much newer uh, landform than old East Antarctica, which is very, very old, over 3 billion years old. Some of the rocks have been dated, as well as connecting to Pangaea, the once giant continent where all continents broke off and have slowly been continental drifting to their present locations. Whereas West Antarctica, where it is presumed there could be some ruins of Atlantis is always in that location. And that's also where these uh, pyramids poking through the ice are. But uh, no, I think maybe we got to do a little journey down there, Ryan, and check it out for ourselves and come to the bottom of this. What are those pyramids? Maybe we will have a good story to come back and tell. <laughs> I've, I've never climbed a mountain, but I'd, I'd, I'd be willing to go down there and try, see what's there. I, I feel... Yeah. <laughs> When I was um, when I first started out radio at uh, at WPRK Radio in Winter Park, Florida, I remember that story so vividly. I printed it out, and it was about a pyramid in Antarctica. And at the time, I I didn't really know anything. I just talked about it uh, in passing, and it's been brought up time and time again after that. And I, I I've always told people like I I don't know if it's a pyramid. I don't really care to argue if it is or isn't. I'm open to the possibility. I, I don't. I don't really understand why it has to be a black or white issue, because if you look around the world, as you well know, Brad, and a lot of listeners know, I mean, from China to South America to well, obviously in Africa, all over the world, you find pyramids. Some of them are so big, like the one in some of these ones in, in the east, the one in China in particular, um, they thought people thought it was a mountain uh, and it, it wasn't a mountain. It was an actual human built pyramid that had been uh, over time uh, made part of the landscape by nature. So, you know, these and some of these go back. I mean, some people suspect uh, Robert Schock's work and the Sphinx and the pyramids go back hundreds of thousands, millions of years, even some argue. We have no idea. But if we find pyramids all over the planet, it would be, I think, logical to to assume that it would be likely to find them also in Antarctica, though. I'm curious. You probably know way more about this than me. If something's sticking out from the ice, I mean, what part of the ice is this? Where is this so, so-called pyramid? Because is it is it based on the ground and then it's covered with ice? That would make the pyramid like miles high, wouldn't it? Or is it, you know, at a plateau somewhere? Do you know anything about that? Well, it definitely pokes through the ice. So you bring up a good point that like an iceberg, which only is about 10% above the water, the great bulk of it is below what we can see. And that could be very well the case with the uh, Shackleton pyramids that are so commonly seen in all kind of media and uh, ancient aliens did a whole series on it, but they didn't go down there to investigate it. So it's all speculation. It's just, well, you can see the photo and see that they're very uh, symmetrical. And again, 
nature doesn't create in that kind of symmetry. But there are some imperfections. It's not 100% symmetrical four-sided pyramid. There's a bit, bit of a, a bulge towards the top of it, unlike the uh, Giza pyramids, which are perfect uh, degree of angle on all four sides. So there are some things that could lead you to believe that they are a nun attack, that they are just an attractive mountain poking through the ice. But that's why more information is needed. And I'm kind of like you, Ryan. I don't think I can make a call either way, just that it's an intriguing location and it's worthy of further investigation. Well, that's, again, the question of tonight's show. When you start to think about it, like it's fun to talk about ancient aliens as a show that people have made documentaries people talk about it on late night radio but i wonder at the at the end of the conversation at the end of the proverbial day do we really want to know what's what's there i mean i i don't necessarily buy the the brookings institute report and uh, other uh groups that have gotten together in government and corporations and think tanks and even tv shows and documentaries that have posed the question that well if we really learned that there were aliens if it was like a mars attack situation like, would people be able to deal with it or would society collapse? I don't necessarily think society would collapse. I think things would drastically change. But I do think that there there certainly are some people in the UFO community that, for lack of a better word, UFO community, that um, might need to be careful what they wish for. Because we're talking about things that, especially if we're talking about cosmicism and cosmic indifference, we're talking about looking at looking into the into the mysterious things of Antarctica or the universe, and we're finding that maybe these beings, these aliens, these things that we we have, I mean, I've had, had an alien doll when I was a kid, and I've got aliens on my desk here, little <laughs> statues, like, they might not be friendly, and they might not be hostile. They, they just might be totally indifferent to us, and I find, personally, I think indifference would be scarier, at least for me, maybe for some other people, would be scarier than if they were hostile or if they were even nice. We might be thinking, well, maybe they're not so nice. Maybe they're, maybe this is uh, some kind of you know con. Maybe it's like uh, the Twilight Zone. They want to cook us uh, to serve man. I find indifference to be scarier than hostility or friendliness. What do you personally think? Mm. <laughs> Great observation, Ryan. And why is it that now, of all times, that they would be showing themselves or that our intelligence agencies or NASA would be interested in this subject. For example, if they would have come just say 50 or 75 years ago, our level of technology to fight back was so much weaker than it is now that they could have easily taken over the planet if indeed that is their objective, which I don't think it is. But it's being portrayed that way, that there is a national security uh, interest in learning about this now. And boy, we better tell the American people uh, all this time later. I keep thinking we're being set up for something here. And they don't make these announcements by chance. And I do agree with you that if a, a very highly intelligent extraterrestrial force is coming here, would they really want to take us over by force? Would they want to maybe just study a beetle in the Amazon and take back a, a DNA footprint of something else that they're interested in? Prime directive. Because, yeah, it, there you go. Because humans are very erratic. We're, we're very uh, 
knee jerk, uh, pull out a gun and take a shot at it. I could see that they would want to be cautious about their interaction with humans. And now we have a lot of high technology to fight them back. And so why would they come here to do an alien invasion when we have nuclear bombs and directed energy weapons and a whole lot of other toys in our arsenal to uh, give them a good fight back? And they've had that opportunity from time immemorial to come here and conquer this planet, but they didn't. So that's why I think right now, why is now so important? NASA's had over 60 years to come clean with saying, yeah, we're going to look into this. And now they're saying publicly that they are. I mean, come on. What is the real backstory here? What are they really trying to get the people prepared for? And that's where I think the, the real story behind all this is. Yeah, that, that's why I called tonight's show Lovecrafting Disclosure, because I think disclosure in a lot of different ways is being crafted. It's being politicized. It's being used uh, in order to sell us a, a false bill of goods. In fact, I, I find this also strange. It seems like when you discuss the subject of UFOs or, excuse me, UAPs, it's very political. And I find that strange. Like, I find that a lot of people on the left politically tend to be major proponents of UFOs, UAP, and disclosure. And a lot of people on the political right tend to dismiss that. And, I, and it's, what's, weird, what's weird to me, Brad, what, or if, it, if I guess I could say weird, what's weird to me is that it's almost become part of a political argument like abortion or something. And I find that that's, I mean, it's probably one of the greatest questions that humans could ask. Are we alone in the universe? And we've reduced it to a question of, would you like Coke or Pepsi? And I, I, I think it should be taken with um, a grain of salt, but I think it should also also be taken a little bit more seriously. Well, it should be taken seriously, and, and we've known this for quite a long time. If there is the potential to make contact, even with peaceful extraterrestrials, just think how much we could potentially learn if they were willing to share what they know from zero-point energy fields, the way these disc-shaped craft are supposed to fly and can neutralize gravity. The second question after we say, hey, there's aliens here, the second question after we say, well, what do they look like and what do you think they're up to? The second question would be, how did they get here? What was the propulsion that they used? And that would certainly overturn the apple cart as far as us still burning fossil fuels to run our cars and using Roman candle-like rockets to go into space. I mean, all this stuff must be so antiquated compared to the kind of technology that they possess. Well, I think we... So that, there lies the real secret, I think, here. I know we've talked about that before, and that was you know, one of the things that um, I remember reading very very vividly. I remember it very well reading in your books, in the Esoteric Book series, um, and I think we project ourselves onto any potential, uh, any potential life beyond this planet. Uh, well, how could they get here? Because we don't have the technology to do it. It's like David Icke says. It's like, well, you might not do these things. You might not be able to do it, but they can. And so I think we project ourselves, but we also limit, I, I, I think, potentiality in the universe because the pinnacle of modern physics and modern science is uh, multi-dimensional play. Um, whether that's the U.S. Department of Energy, which openly on their website has 
investigations they speak about into, well, now with Stranger Things, they call it the upside down tongue in cheek, but they really do have uh, departments that look into other worlds, um, laboratories, major laboratories that were behind the Manhattan Project, like Oak Ridge in Tennessee. Uh, they publicly have been experimenting with other dimensional um, uh, uh, places of existence, other dimensional uh, uh, worlds. I wonder if the idea of aliens coming here, it's not that they're coming with propulsion, or there could be lots of different aliens. Some come with propulsion from another star system, but they're coming from other dimensions, and they're speaking perhaps to humans. Maybe Elon Musk is one of them. I don't know. But they're using the human body as a vessel and like Lovecraft said, we remember Lovecraft was based on theosophy. It was based on Charles Fort. He was inspired by the same people you and I are inspired by, Brad. So it's not fully fiction, but that some people are working willingly or unwillingly. Maybe they're being contacted in dreams by the great old ones, but they're working with these things in other dimensions to open gateways. Maybe that's atomic bombs. Maybe that's CERN so that they can bring them into our world. And they're so sophisticated. They're so indifferent to us that what we call invasion and takeover is, isn't the same thing to them. We just, I think the bottom line here, we project ourselves too much onto this potentiality of other life. And we don't look outside the box and think maybe they're not coming with propulsion. Maybe they're coming from another dimension. Maybe they're using us to get into our world for the resources. And that's all they're concerned with. We're like ants. And that's it. And that's a, you make a good point. Let's look at it the other way, how humans treat animals, for example. Yes. Uh, David Letterman's stupid pet tricks, how we like to anthropomorphize animals to be more like humans, or we see ourselves in them, in the animals, and we get a big kick out of it when these stupid pet tricks do things that humans can do. Well, how about the reverse side? Maybe we're like the pets to the aliens, or you mentioned ants. If we're watching a tribe of ants in an anthill with a, a microscope and ch checking out their way of living, they're pretty much oblivious to us watching them, but they go about and do their daily lives. And I would say that's probably the best example of how ET intelligence is monitoring Earth. They're just kind of watching us with curiosity, how we go about building our ant mound and going about our daily lives. And look at how much war and suffering and poverty is going on here, even with our own species. I mean, this must be like the planet of the apes when they look at us down here, that uh, there's so much inequality that they can't understand how we could let our own slip through the cracks as one in five people go to sleep starving tonight. So they, they must say, why, why can't these ants create a better anthill? Uh, and do we even want to go down there and help them? But I agree that there is something like the prime directive that prevents those benevolent ETs from interfering or even intermingling with our species, perhaps until the time is right. Well, I find that uh, movies like, well, they, they remade it, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, they made, uh, remade it as Invasion with Nicole Kidman, that if you showed emotion, that's how they knew that you were human. So this was like, a, any, they were emotionless, and they brought peace to the world. There, there was peace in this one world agreement, but nobody was human. Nobody had their own mind. It was like a hive mind collective intelligence. 
And I mean, that movie was made, what was the Invasion of the Body Snatchers made in the 50s. And this is now the, the, the discussion that we're having with technology. Can material existence be indefinitely sustained, which I think is spiritual damnation. It's like the promise of everlasting life through the technological elixir. And when you have uh, AI systems that are named, you know, Lambda, that p perhaps potentially are sentient, and I think of Crowley's lamb, um, whether they're coming through dimensional gateways or portals or worse, summoning a demon, and if it's artificial or otherwise, uh, I mean, you look at look at Klaus Schwab. The guy literally sounds like a Borg. He says we're going to integrate, you know, our biological cells with technology. You know, resistance is futile. You'll be left behind if you don't participate. I don't know if it's reality mirroring fiction or, you know, reality mimicking art or it's art mimicking reality or it's a combination of both or there's predictive programming. There's so many little teeny tiny pieces that, um, I mean, to me, that that disturbs me more than uh, spaceships and Independence Day blowing up the White House, you know, this big Hollywood kind of a thing. I, again, we have to understand things more from, I think, having an open mind and, and thinking of limitless possibility rather than what humans can do and what humans would do to, let's say, conquer another planet. Perhaps we're dealing with things from another dimension that are in our minds that are opening portals and gateways to use our world as a, another habitat or as a place to expand theirs or as a place to you know extract resources. And uh, they're not concerned with us. That's a, it's a very disturbing thing to think about. And, and that makes me ask the question once more, do we really want to know what's in Antarctica? Do we really want to meet our maker. Brad Olson, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, about a minute or so, if you want to add anything else or let the listeners know something that's been on your mind or you missed a point, uh, the floor is yours for a moment. Hey, Ryan, always great to talk to you on The Secret Teachings. We worked together on so many projects, went and saw the solar eclipse together a couple of years ago and yes. drove across uh, Oregon and great open expanses and it didn't feel like a overpopulated planet. We're in the desert part of Oregon, nor did it seem overpopulated down in Antarctica. So we're being told things in our media to get us thinking in certain ways. It's all about the narrative. And your books are so fantastic in helping people understand. And I try to do that as well, just to give our audience a way to understand the different sides of the coin, not just what we're being told by, say, the mainstream media or government sources, but what the motive might be behind that. And that's why I think this was a great conversation tonight with you over what might be under the ice in Antarctica and the everlasting legacy of H.P. Lovecraft and his great fictional work calling into some of these occultic type uh, stories that we hear so much. So really appreciate you having me on today and uh, let's take it uh, to the next level. Talk again sometime soon. All right. Sounds good, Brad. CCCpublishing.com. Brad's books have always been one of my, one of my my favorite things to read. I, I go back and read little things here or there, even if I've read the, you know, read the whole book. So I appreciate you coming on the show, Brad. Uh, Again, cccpublishing.com, the esoteric book series. You have a good night, okay? Yeah, you too, Ryan. All right. Bye-bye, Brad. All right, there he goes, Brad Olson. Again, I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. 
rdgable at yahoo.com is the email tst underscore underscore radio is twitter facebook.com forward slash the secret teachings is of course facebook our full show archive is on the website or any radio and podcast player search the secret teachings if you want to get rid of those advertisements though subscribe to our full archive with montages my digital books so you get a digital copy of each of my books early access to the show and a private rss feed plus You support the show and keep us on air Monday through Friday after Clyde Lewis and Ground Zero here on Ground Zero Radio, where we are running a special $40 for an entire year of The Secret Teachings Archive and my books, etc. www.thesecretteachings.info. Stay safe, stay informed, stay healthy, and we'll talk to you on the next broadcast. 